Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here. Welcome to episode 39 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. These past eight or nine episodes have really been taking a look at, you know, just myself as a mother to Jap, both compared to and alongside and after Molly and Gracie, the other two people that I was able to parent. It's been a lot of fun going over things and talking about it. And the more I talk about things, the more they're you know, alive in my head. It's like you buy an orange car and then suddenly all you see on the highway is orange cars. There's actually a word for this where when you allow things into your subconscious or just your, your thoughts, now suddenly you're aware of it. There are no more orange cars on the road than there were before I bought mine. But because I have one, now I see them. I don't really have an orange car, but that's my analogy. So look at me jumping right in here. I'm winding down season four. Season four's purpose has really been around me as a parent to Jack and how it's different than with Molly and Gracie and better or worse. But what, of course, what goes along with it is the reality of my life. So I talk a lot about Molly and I talk a lot about Kenny and I talk a lot about jobs I've had. I talk a lot about Roy. I talk a lot about CrossFit. I talk a lot about all of these things that play really significant pieces and parts to my story. I complete a podcast and sometimes I get like a podcast hangover. I have to walk around for a while. So I'm recording this one about five and a half hours or so after I just recorded a previous one. And normally I listen to the whole thing first to make sure it sounds okay. And this was a good podcast, the one I just did, episode 38. It followed that play that I had seen and I had all these analogies. This one is a bit different. When I organize episode ideas and put them in sort of a chronological order with my editor, we come up with ideas and we move them around. And sometimes two episodes become one and sometimes I skip one and go right to another or I flip-flop ideas, which is what's nice. I mean, what, what I'm going to podcast about is what comes out of my mouth on a given day. And so, so that's sort of the, just the regular barb part of it. So episode 39, the very, very first sort of heading and title is being a helicopter parent. And helicopter parenting is funny because, you know, we all have different ideas about what that means. When I think of my own childhood, my childhood growing up, everybody walked to school. I lived one street away from the bus, so I couldn't take the bus because I lived too close, even though it's only like a block away from kids who could take the bus to run like middle school. I walked. I walked in all weather. We had one car. All families had one car and my dad took it to work or my mother brought my dad to work and came back. I just know that the timing of everything was not consistent with me getting to school on time. Would either have to go really, really early or be late. Sometimes too, I would watch my sister and brother while my mother brought my dad to work. And then when she got back, sometimes I'd jump in the car and she'd take me. So it wasn't like I never got rides, but nowadays nobody walks to school. We're in the middle of a middle school project in, in Concord here. And, and one of the big issues is walkability. And when you really analyze the number of kids who walk to school now, far less than it used to be. This comes up to me because being a helicopter parent, you know, parents that would let their 12-year-olds walk two miles to middle school in this day and age might be considered really, really, really loose. Like, oh my God, you're letting your kid walk to school. Whereas we all did it, but times change. I remember my mother saying things just like this. Well, when I was little, we did it this way. 
And it's just easy as, as a young person listening to an old person to sort of roll your eyes and be like, okay, boomer. But the reality is every generation has its reality. And someday all you 21-year-olds will be saying the same things I say to 21-year-olds that are not yet born because you will live your life and you will feel strong to it. So am I a helicopter parent? Yes and no. It just depends on what you mean by helicopter parent. I have friends who don't let their kids eat snacks alone in the house because they're afraid they'll choke. Somebody has to be home when they eat. That's not irrational. I let Molly and Gracie eat when they were home alone. I, I always told them, make sure you're sitting down and comfortable and that kind of stuff. You know, I don't feel like I helicopter parented in that way. I knew where they were all the time. When I finally let them walk from the bus that dropped them off at Dewey School, when all the elementary schools were sort of mixing, they wanted to walk a little bit. And so I thought, okay, Dewey School to here. If there were no trees, I could see Dewey School out the window I'm leaning out to look at. So I'd let them walk, but I'd sit in the car and watch them like, oh. And then when Gracie was in middle school, she took the bus and I watched her to the bus stop. It was right down the street from us, but I enjoyed the time with her. There were some kids that I worried about at the bus stop. And so I just went in my pajama pants because I had lost my job by then. She got on the bus with a neighbor and went to school. And then I drove Molly. The year that Molly died, seventh grade, my Parker job interfered with me being able to take her to school, which is heart-wrenching now because that was some of our best times. And she would take the bus. And it's just a level of independence, letting them go, letting them be on their own. Gracie went to the school district preschool and she had an IEP, so she was allowed to get picked up on a bus. And Cynthia, my good friend Cynthia, was Gracie's bus driver. And so it was such a piece of independence for Gracie to ride the bus and ride the kindergarten bus. To me, these are ways that I'm not a helicopter parent. I'm giving my children, you know, wings. We did dancing and, you know, I was always a stage mom. I was always backstage. Part of it in the early years was because I, I'm not going to leave my three-year-old with a stranger to go do a dance. You know, that was how I felt at the time. But then I realized what was best for Gracie and Molly were to have a number of mothers upon whom they could rely. And this is a big piece of my raising Jack. I want Jack to have lots of mommies and daddies, mommy and daddy figures in his life and aunties and uncles and people, friends, adults that can be there for him when he needs them. Molly and Gracie had several dance moms and they would go to these moms for help with hair, costume changes, all those things. And I would do the same for those kids when their moms couldn't be around. Am I a helicopter parent? In some ways, I guess I am. Molly and Gracie's lives were incredibly structured. I knew where they were at all times. And when they wanted to quit dance, I said, that's fine, but you can't just come home and hang out. You can't just come home after school and do nothing and watch TV and play on your phones and all this. So you have to have a passion. And I know I'll do the same thing for Jack. And it's not that he needs structured playdates and that sort of thing. He just needs to have something he's passionate about, something bigger than himself that he puts work into, which is how you develop you know, fortitude and set goal setting and all of these things. I remember Gracie's first sleepover without Molly and it was Kelsey Chase's first birthday party and, and I was petrified. Gracie was fine. She was excited to go. She had a little bit of issues and Molly and I were just home like missing Gracie because we did the whole family bed thing and it was, was pretty intense. You know, a lot of playdates, it was Molly and Gracie together and, and most of Gracie's and Molly's friends loved the both of them together because they were just such a unique pair. In terms of this day and age, I do not feel like that I'm a helicopter parent. Having said that, we have so much technology that allows us space from our kids, like within our homes or even within public places, because we can look at them on, on an iPad or on our phone and see where they are and what they're doing. I'm not into that. I really want to be able to hear with my own ears and see with my own eyes, not on an electronic device, what my kids are doing. You know, I say that. <laughs> Jack doesn't sleep at home anyway, so it's not like he's going to fall asleep upstairs. That might be where I'm, where I'm a helicopter parent. I really love co-sleeping in the family bed. And I did that with Gracie and Molly and I do not regret it a bit. And I'm doing it with Jack. 
it's just Jack and I, it's not Jack, Kenny and I, Kenny sleeps in a different room and there's a million reasons behind that. But the ones most pertinent to Jack are that the mattress is super squishy and Kenny is on a lot of medication that can interfere with the sleep or his ability to wake up. And so Kenny needs to take care of Kenny and be healthy. And part of that is getting a good night's sleep. The other thing I want to get into right now is I nursed all my babies. I love breastfeeding. That's me. A lot of, a lot of women don't, they have no desire to do it. A lot of women really want to do it and struggle unbelievably. Our country is so divided on how we treat women. Everything with women is an issue that gets taken back to, oh, a typical woman. That's how I feel politically and all of that. I just feel like women really get the shaft and good women do amazing things. And I don't know, I just feel like it's difficult, but I loved nursing Gracie and Molly. Molly nursed until she was two and a half. And I finally had to say, okay, honey, she called it Badoot. And I had to say no more Badoot. It's time. And okay, goodbye, Badoot. I'll miss you. And, you know, just, it was the sweetest thing ever. And she, but she was good. She understood I'm big now. And, you know, and all this, Gracie stopped at like 16 months. I got pregnant with Molly and she didn't care for the taste anymore. Sometimes it's changes. I will nurse Jack as long as he wants to nurse. And right now he nurses three or four times in the night, which is fine with me. When he's home or we're home together during the day, he nurses quite a bit. I give him breast milk in a bottle to take with him to big boy school. But he also eats a lot of food now. When we're eating, he takes bites of everything we eat. And that's how we do it. I don't give him a plate. We're not a sit down at a table family anymore. Gracie and Molly's dance really got in the way of that. And, you know, eating together and being a family together is such an important thing. And I do think once Jack is a bit bigger and we have a bit more structure because he'll have external structures, that maybe eating together at a table will come back. That's something I can't predict, nor do I care. We're together. It's like last night we had dinner on the screen porch. It was beautiful out there. And Jack just wandered back and forth and I gave him bites of chicken and bites of rice and he happily eats it, but he eats a lot of his own food. And that's how I did with Gracie and Molly. I really let them dictate those things. I remember with Gracie and Molly, I wasn't vigilant on potty training. It's their life and they have to be comfortable putting their pee in their poop where they want to put it, when they want to put it. Not that I want to let them poop everywhere. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, a lot of kids really struggle with potty training because it just, oh, you can't come to dance unless you're potty trained. I'll tell you what, Gracie and Molly wore pull-ups at CDA for two years. They could totally hold it. They wouldn't have peed themselves there. I didn't want to take a risk in case they really had to go. And once Gracie finally was just willing to go in the toilet, Molly followed suit immediately. That was just how they did things together. I'm sorry, Gracie, I'm talking about your potty training in a podcast. <laughs> I love you, my 21-year-old perfectly potty trained child. I had a great pediatrician who said that. Whenever I had concerns about Gracie or Molly and their behaviors or their diet, he would say, you know, when they go to college, they're going to be fine. And Gracie was, and I'm sure Molly's fine in heaven. I think of a helicopter parent as somebody that over hovers. And will I sit in the waiting room when Jack is at dance? I will until I'm told I don't have to anymore. Of course, uh, dance shouldn't be a childcare facility with kids getting into trouble. I want him to be a good part of anything that he's in. This leads into sort of routine life at home. So I never gave Gracie or Molly chores. I did their laundry. I would pick up the toys at the end of the day. They had busy days. I wanted them to go to school and do well. I wanted them to enjoy their dance. On days that they did not have after-school activities and I would get home from track and they had hung with Nanny and been relaxed, I would have them play a big part in helping me clean and they didn't always like it. And if they had homework, I would sit down with them to do the homework. Gracie struggled incredibly with her homework and so we would just do it together. And I wanted those things, to me, those things were more important than the clean toy room. And so really once they had their own room, and then it was sort of their place. Like, I remember they were like, mommy, our room is a mess. And I'm like, well, you need to clean your room. And they sort of looked at me like, why wouldn't you clean it? And I said, well, it's not my room. You know, so it, that really was a turning point for them. And so, I, you know, we didn't have fancy, you know, a sheet and a blanket and a bedspread. We just had a sheet 
and a bedspread or a comforter with a duvet cover over it. So you take the duvet cover off to wash. I tried to make their beds and their chores as easy to do as possible. And I will do the same thing for Jack. I want my kids to be able to focus on the important things. I guess things that I feel that are important, which is being well-rested and feel secure, doing well in school. Yes, we should all pick up after ourselves. I get really cranky when I go into the kitchen and I see change and sunglasses and a wallet on the butcher block when the container for all of those things is on the next shelf over. Okay, if you have the energy to put them here, (laughs) Annie, this is you, you can put them where they belong. Those things get me cranky sometimes when I'm just in a cranky mood. So will Jack learn that, that he is responsible for himself? Yes. Will he have a list of chores to do before he's allowed to play? No, that's just not how I function. And when I look at Gracie, when she comes home, she came home, she left the room, she stayed in a disaster. But I've seen her room at Disney. She's unbelievably clean. Everything is clean. It's all where it belongs. It's clean. She makes her bed. It's not a mess because she gets it. She's one of four people living in a very small place. If there's going to be a mess, it's not going to be hers. So I think by not over pushing that at that age, that's been successful. The other piece is, does Molly's death make me afraid something will happen to Jack? Yes, it does. Because I'll tell you right now, just because Molly died doesn't mean Gracie or Jack won't. It just doesn't. I lost baby Gordy at 25 weeks. And I remember saying to Kenny, well, I've lost a child. I can cross that off. Bad things that will happen to me in my life. It doesn't matter. The thousand tiny steps that go into the death of a child, anyone's child at any age, are far too complex and go back far too many steps to be obliterated by another child dying. So I've lost two of the four. I live every day fearing that that I'm going to get a phone call about Gracie or some bad thing will happen to Jack all the time. Does that mean I'm hovering over him all the time? No, I can't because all I'm going to do is prevent him from learning. If there was a silk company and they thought that if they peeled the cocoons of the moths that made silk, that they would, could speed up production. And all of those moths died because without having the struggle of breaking out of the cocoon, their wings weren't strong enough to flap. They needed that struggle. And that's, you know, that's a bit of a nature analogy, but I'll tell you right now, Jack will learn from his struggles. Am I going to let him fall off a bed onto a wood floor? No, no, I'm not. But he's going to trip and fall several times. He's going to catch his fingers in the door. All of these things are going to happen. And I just can't, I can't over worry about those things. When either one of us is at the dishwasher loading it, Jack is there in a heartbeat and his first thing to grab, a steak knife. Doesn't grab a spoon, doesn't grab Tupperware. No, 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 no. Do I banish him? No, I take the silverware thing and put it up on the counter. And now he can't reach the silverware. Go ahead, Jack, play with the coffee mugs. You know, these are things that as parents, we have to let our children figure it out. And that's a fine line, just a fine line. I can say that Molly's death had nothing to do with me giving her too much space or not enough space. Her death had nothing to do with her. She did everything right. She did everything that every doctor said to her and they just didn't listen to her and it killed her. That's a hard thing to live with. I will teach Jack to advocate. I will say when I'm at the doctor's office now, I am much more vocal about what I think as a mother and that my thoughts and intuitions come first. Fill me with science. If I'm wrong, I'm going to admit I'm wrong. I was not wrong with Molly. I was right and I wasn't listened to. And the one nurse that believed us showed up, you know, was too late. It's not her fault. Yes, I am more protective in some ways of Jack. I am much more vocal at the doctors. If Kenny has to go, like Kenny, here's a list of things that you have to get answers to. He is a very capable father, but I missed Molly's last two doctor's appointments and, and I have such, such anxiety about that. Sometimes I feel bad for the doctors <laughs> just because, you know, you know, there's that. On the note of doctors, you know, the Montefiore Einstein Hospital there in White Plains, New York that took care of me so well, I took Jack to Utah twice in an airplane across the country, yarded up into a canyon, 
tethered him to my body and got tethered to a cliff to view a sunrise. I nursed him up there. I mean, I did all these things with a a one-year-old baby. I took a five-week-old baby to Disney and tooled around. So am I a helicopter parent? Am I overprotective? Yes and no. I think we all define those things for ourselves. I was talking to another mother and she's got a baby right around my age and her baby is no longer breastfeeding. And I don't know if it's all regular milk. I think it's just milk and water and not necessarily even formula, maybe formula. I don't know, but very, very different. And we parent completely different. And I look at her parenting and think I could never do it that way. But she looks at me and thinks I could never do it that way. So neither of us are wrong. I have to sit inside myself as a mother all the time in Mother Jack. I have to do it right for me. And I have to be a good mother. And a a good mother is relaxed and has taken breaths. In the vein of breastfeeding, as I'm recording this, there's a huge formula shortage now. All these supply chain issues. I find it weird how certain things suddenly are a shortage. And I guess it's where they are in the container trucks. If the container ship full of formulas sitting in a harbor somewhere and that one can't get unloaded, then there you go. There's not enough formula. I find it a little weird that the formula shortage is piggybacking the abortion crisis and all that Roe v. Wade stuff. You know, okay, we have to get rid of abortions. And even if the mother's in danger, but oh, by the way, we don't have enough formula to feed the babies that are going to be born. You know, that's me being a bit snarky. But when I look at these things and ponder these things, I ache for formula mothers because this doesn't mean they can suddenly breastfeed their kids, nor would they want to. I've seen a number of mothers and I did this myself. I'm a nursing mother. And if I had a friend or anybody that had a baby and they couldn't find formula and they were freaking out, I would nurse that baby in a heartbeat. Wet nursing was not uncommon. There have been women all through time who can't nurse. Nothing, the milk doesn't come or the baby doesn't suckle right or whatever. And what do they do? They don't let their babies die. They find another nursing mother. Would you also nurse my baby, please? Milk is produced upon demand. If I was suddenly nursing two other babies, I would be pounding water. I'd be pounding supplements and I'd be nursing the crap out of these babies. And I would suddenly have gigantic boobs full of milk. (laughs) It'd be great. So I offered on my page, if you're a mom, I'm happy to nurse your baby. And I'm happy to connect you with groups that, of mothers that pump extra milk to share. It's actually a really beautiful part of my, of my story with Jack. So Molly and Gracie were exclusively nursed. Gracie was just breast milk for like 11 months. Molly a little bit less. And then Gracie meticulously ate some other things, but not much. I did put Gracie and Molly right into dairy to cow's milk right away. And I think, I think a change I'm going to make for Jack is I'll try almond milk and oat milk. I don't like what almond milk does to the environment. It's a lot of environmental resources to make the milk. I also don't like what the dairy industry does to cows. So there you go. How do we balance that out? But I think I might try oat milk. I like oat milk. I I put it in my shakes in the morning and, and all of that. And if Jack is willing to drink it, that's a way he can get nutrients that isn't cow's milk. And I can make sure he gets the vitamins he needs by supplementing and that kind of thing. So does that make me more of a helicopter parent with Jack? Well, I know a lot more about nutrition now. When Gracie and Molly were nursing and first eating, I was a distance runner and a coach and a teacher. The CrossFit community, CrossFit has a huge nutritional piece and it's an upside down triangle. And, it, and without sounding, I don't, know how to, I don't know how this sounds, but it's basically called the caveman diet. If you were a forager, you were to find food and eat it. There are certain foods you would never eat because you wouldn't have a field and grow it all and harvest it. So nuts and berries and fruit, and seeds, those things are all eat, 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 things that you can get naturally in nature. You know, you can pick pineapples off of trees and bananas and grapes and all these things that you can eat that don't need to be grown in bulk. Meat is a big piece of it because, you know, cavemen generation and even just living in the wild, a family would kill a deer and they would use every piece of that deer for survival. Native American culture as well. You honor the animal that you killed and you, you ate the food and you used the coat to keep you warm in the winter and you honored the deer that gave its life so that you could have yours. And I know hardcore vegans 
will disagree with this and that's absolutely fine. There are so many ways to look at things. So with Jack, Jack will get a lot less junky junk than Gracie and Molly got. Having said that, if he goes to school and the kid offers him a Twinkie, he can have the Twinkie. I'm not going to be one of those mothers that, oh, you can't have that because I find that if you limit kids like that, it's what they want the most. I will employ a very similar technique I did with Gracie and Molly around junk food. When they were growing up, there was a vending truck in our driveway full of candy and soda and chips, everything you want. And sometimes they would say, can we have a vending truck treat? And I said, yes, but come to the kitchen and I'd give them each a glass of water, not a big one, like four ounces, drink this glass of water and here, eat some grapes or some carrots and like five each, right? Now you may go pick out a treat or two. So one time Molly said, why do you do that, mom? And I said, two reasons. One, I'm making sure you have nutrition first so that the junk food doesn't fill you up and you don't want to eat the nutritious stuff. And second, now you have a little bit less room for junk food, so you won't eat so much. And they actually grew up with a really healthy relationship with junk food. I never said no, ever. And we just, we just managed it. And I will be the same way with Jack. Controlling food and what and how kids eat it doesn't make a lot of sense. They're going to figure it out and go to college eating really well. <laughs> I do take some more risks with Jack than I took with Gracie and Molly. I didn't let anyone babysit Gracie and Molly. They were little girls. I had that, you know, childhood sexual abuse. I was out of my mind that somebody would hurt them. So it was my mother, my sister, Johanna, then my friend of mine, Pam at the time, and then little A, Amy Farrar, then now Amy Hale. Those were the only people, Amy and Pam were the first non-family people to change Gracie or Molly's diapers. Up to then it was me, it was my mother, it was Kenny. It was Johanna. That was it. And I was just vigilant about this. And I functioned in fear a little bit around protecting them from, from that, from stranger danger and all of that. I remember when Molly and Gracie were in fourth and sixth grade, they got cell phones, little iPhones, and somebody was texting Molly. And it was just somebody, you know, like a spammer kind of thing. And she was absolutely petrified. I'm like, Molly, turn your phone off and, and walk away from it. Nobody can, is going to come get you. And so we went through it. And I went to, you know, I blocked the number. I reported the, I reported the number. I texted back and said, stop texting this number or I will call the police. And then I blocked the number. And of course, the number never could get through again. That terrified Molly, but she was smart enough to say, okay. And, the, and Gracie and Molly managed their social media really well. Once Molly died, Gracie and I were on social media all the time. So I, I just stopped. I'm not going to, Gracie can do what she needs to do to, to grieve. Jack has gone to childcare already. Now, granted, it's Jen's place. So he's with Jen. And I know the people that work there. So, so it's a level of safety that I feel. And Gracie worked there. So the first few times he went, actually, I would only go, I would only have him go when Gracie was there. And when Gracie went to Florida, I went round and round, like, what do I do? And I spoke with Jen about it. And she's like, we love Jack and we want him to still come. Please don't keep him away from us. <laughs> and so it gives me a bit of a break. I never did this with Gracie and Molly. I'm already thinking about preschool options for Jack and that maybe it would, you know, I did the school district preschool with Gracie and Molly. And, and there's a part of me that might sign him up for that. It's three days a week and half days, I think. And then I can supplement that with something else like, you know, shake a road or something more outside. I would love for him to have an outside component. I had my mother with Gracie and Molly. I didn't even think about it. They can go to school when kindergarten comes and kindergarten was half day then. I do know that forcing a lot of academics on young children shows no, by third grade, full day K and all the preschool stuff and kids that didn't have it, what the difference is the structure and being, being able to handle school and being able to handle class and and getting along well. When you have kids with really bad homes, being in school all day is helpful for them. Do I care if Jack reads well in first grade? I do not. I care that Jack is a good friend and is respectful and kind and stands up for himself. If he can read, well, yippee. Because you know what? By the time he goes to college, he'll be able to read. <laughs> how I'm doing preschool with him, how I'm already thinking about it is very different than it was with Gracie and Molly. My life is different. I worked 
a quarter of a mile from my house, the first years of Gracie's and Molly's lives. And then I worked a quarter mile in the other direction from my house. And when I lost my job, I was an online teacher in my house. So I was here all the time with incredible support. Road racing jobs took me away, but that was on the weekends when I had a combination of Kenny and my mother. Molly and Gracie were never, ever not with someone that really loved them. And I want that the same for Jack. My life is different now, though. I do know that with writing a book and doing the podcast and my plans and hopes for sort of an online presence, I'm hoping will be big and will have good payback for me, not payback financially, just in general. I have a lot to say and, and important things to say. And so that's stuff that takes me away from Jack. Kenny is spending way more time with Jack than he was ever able to spend with any of his other kids on a consistent basis. Every day, every day, Jack wakes up with me and then Kenny starts his morning with both of his parents every single day. And some days that lasts into the day. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, he's with, he's with me all day. And on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, when Kenny's in charge, he still has both of us in the morning. He goes to big boy school on a couple of those days, and then he's with Kenny on another. He gets just as much family as Gracie and Molly got, but instead of my mother and my sister, it's me, it's me and his daddy. The other thing that's different now, and I spoke about this a little bit before, how the political realm when Gracie and Molly were little was bad and ugly, but not to the extent that it is now in terms of internal civil war type stuff. You know, the, the number of mass shootings and, and they're just racially bent and focused is really ridiculous. I hesitate to get too, too specifically difficult here in a podcast because we're all entitled to feel how we feel and believe what we believe. But I just think, forget political party, forget liberal or conservative, forget what religion you practice, forget what skin color you have, forget what shape your eyes are, forget what you have for genitalia. Let's look at people's hearts and how they treat others. Come on. To me, that's the most important thing. And I think humanity, at least in this country, is as bad as it's ever been. I'm not saying there aren't amazing people. I try to find them. I try to find the good people. I do. I have a tendency to get drawn to the bad ones, but I try really hard to find the good ones. And, and so for Jack, social justice is a much bigger piece of his life. I remember a summer job I had, and I wasn't going to be given the job because I was a girl. It was with Mary Lou Sayer, who's like 100 years old now. My friend Maggie and I worked on her farm, and she was hard. You said you could do anything a boy could do. Well, I think she hired us because she loved us. And we worked, I worked so hard. That was the hardest summer job I ever had. And I rode my bike there because, you know, we didn't all have cars back then. I rode my bike all over Concord. You just, if you wanted to go someplace in my generation, you rode your bike. Will I let Jack ride his bike to Bo? I actually think I probably will. I want him to learn how to navigate. I was talking um, with my editor about infrastructure and how people get around and bicycles versus cars and where is it safe to live? And, you know, there are certain places that are much safer to live than other places. And if you're a single adult and you don't have a car, and you're gonna rely on buses or trains or bikes, you need to live in a community that makes it safe to do that. And there are not many, too many communities in the United States that are safe. It's very dangerous to be on a bike. Cyclists get hit all the time. You know, I, I know a handful of people that have almost lost their lives getting hit being on their bikes. And that's a pretty, you know, sad statement when, you know, the cars have more precedence than the walkers and the bikes. So these are things that will play a role in, in how I teach Jack to navigate his world, his actual physical world. We live on a very busy street, and then a small little neighborhood behind us. So we sort of have the best of both worlds. And I have sawhorses that I put children playing and I put them right where the cars would turn. So if they zoom around the corner, they're gonna hit it. But better to hit that than to hit the child down the road. So, you know, these are all things that are bigger issues for us now as parents than they were for us as kids. I lived on Essex Street growing up in Concord and it, at the end where it turned up into Rowell Street. And we played in the street all the time, can, wiffle ball. We were always playing in the street because 
The only people that came through were people that lived there, the people that lived in our street. It was wonderful. On our back street, we can do that a little bit. It's not, it's not such a cut through, but the main drag is very, very busy. So how do I helicopter parent there? <laughs> just the same way. You know, you just need to be smart and all of that. The social justice piece though does bother me and concern me. I just worry. I worry that Jack is coming into a world that could look at him based on his skin color and eye color and gender and everything else and lump him into a group. And, you know, we start with our eyes. When you think about human beings, sometimes we start with our, with our, like in the morning, you hear the birds before you see them. But when we're meeting new people and scouting out new environments and learning new things, we look around, we look and we take in what we see and we, we make assumptions and ask questions based on what we see. I want Jack to be able to really look at what he sees and consider all the possibilities before he decides what might be true. You know, I think in some ways in this culture, in this climate, that's the most important thing is that I really teach him to think. I'm the mother of a boy now. It's so different with Gracie and Molly. We all have uteruses and fallopian tubes and vaginas and boobs and we're women, pretty much a man's world for most of history. And, and so it was easy for me to sort of say, all right, as women, here's what we have to do. And you know, it's very different with a boy. I'm not a boy. I don't know what it's like to be a boy. I know what it's like to be a woman in a man's world. I know all of that, but you know, I wanna be a mother that raises a strong, independent, sensitive, kind young man that he knows he has the freedom to be whoever he wants to be. And I know I've said that in a million podcasts. The other thing, and this was supposed to be in a different episode, like a next episode, but I think the next episode might just be something different. I'm not a goal setter anymore. So I'm working with both my podcast editor and I'm working in this group of women, female entrepreneurs. And goal setting is a big thing. And I just, I start the goals and it's a simple, smart goal. I wrote smart goal speeches. My whole career as a running coach. When I went to Princeton, I'd sit with, you know, 150 high school girls looking at me and we'd go through the whole process of setting a goal for their cross country season. And it was a smart goal and, you know, specific, measurable, all of all the things that a smart goal is. I was given this goal assignment. I don't even remember my goals quite on. I'm sitting here. And if you, if my podcast editor said, what are your goals for this quarter? I wouldn't remember what I wrote. So in this women's group, it's the same thing. I have this, it's this amazing interactive PDF. It's great. I love it. I, I like filling it out. It's easy for me to read. I sit down and I do a little bit and I just go to something else. So I clearly have something going on with me that indicates I'm having a hard time setting goals. I can tell you right now, when Molly died, my busy, busy, busy day planner and workout journal, all of that stopped because marking time became impossible because Molly was dead. And how do I mark time? I don't want to think about it. I just don't want to think about it. I could have used some help. I went to drugs and alcohol. So I just, you know, soothed myself that way for a long time. I just, I just couldn't do it. It was too painful. All I could do was sit and just try to hold myself together. It's okay, Barbara, breathe, breathe, breathe. I will say my continued fallout around Molly's death is setting goals. I try very hard to do it and I have a difficult time. What, how does that bode for me as a mother with a child who I should set goals for? Not that I should set goals for him, but help him to set goals for himself. And I should have goals. I should have things I'm reaching for. In terms of milestones like walking or solid foods or whatever, I don't believe that parents should dictate when their children do those things or read it out of a book. Oh, your child's one? He should take one nap a day now. Well, Jack is 14 months and he takes, he takes two to three naps a day because that's what he needs. I'm not going to argue that. I don't care what the book says. I want Jack to know how he feels and sleep when he needs to sleep, not when I tell him to sleep. I think that's how I am right now. I don't know about goal setting. And this is a challenge for me. And so <laughs> when, when my editor edits this, here, I'm telling you, I'm really having a hard time with the goal piece. I want good things to happen, 
and maybe it gets back into self-sabotage, which is a big piece of the body keeps the score. And what trauma victims do, they wreck it. They wreck it because that's what they're used to. Before someone else can wreck it, I'll wreck it. Then it's mine. This is something I'm working on though. And this is a goal I have to have my goals written and submitted by the end of May. You know, that's what I would have to do. If I can't set and follow through goals myself, how am I going to facilitate that in Jack? Kenny isn't a big goal setter either. And I think, you know, Kenny is as much of a trauma responder now as I am. Kidney transplant, dead child, bad divorce, bad marriage with me when that was supposed to be the best marriage. You know, like, like we have a lot, lot of trauma that we're sitting on all the time. Goal setting and back and getting away from self-sabotage and really embracing self-care will be a big, big piece of my raising Jack. And I think sometimes when I'm asked, why do you think Jack was sent to you? I think sometimes he will end up being the teacher, not by being the parent, just by being the wonderful child he is. I will learn from him. And he is my child and everybody is watching. This isn't some other lady that had a baby. This is something much bigger than that. I also have no preconceived notions. And that went out the window. That went out the window when I lost my job, quite honestly. When I think back to the nights after that, the nights after I was suspended without pay and and that all of November and December, and I had this full busy life that suddenly was devoid of people. And I remember getting so drunk at Cheers once that I threw up all over the bathroom. I just was puking and puking and puking. It was awful. The waitress came in and I'm like, I'm cleaning it up. I'm sorry. And she came and helped me. It was off. It was just, I cried. My mother was here and I just got into bed with her and she spooned me and I sobbed. It was awful. And I had lost my job. And, you know, it was at that time when I look at how I reacted to Molly, those reactions are actually relatively similar. At the time, my job loss was horrifying and it still is. I still have a lot of anger about it. So I have all these things to work out as I strive to be a healthy mother for Jack. I think another thing that comes to mind here, and it goes back a bit to the play I saw once, the play is called Once, is that we have to be our authentic selves. We have to be who we are. I'm not going to make believe I'm perfect. I was looking through some, you know, I have time hop and some text messages came up that I had screenshotted and it was a Gracie Molly mommy thread. So I need to look that up on my phone, but it was all about Gracie and Molly saying, you know, we thought we had a perfect life. You made us think our life was perfect, but now that we know what's really going on, it was never perfect. And So were they better off having three or four perfect years, even though things were horrible and then realizing it was sort of fake or do I be completely honest? So nothing is perfect, but maybe it's still livable. Talk about not wanting to retrace a lot of steps that I did before. All of these things come into play. But I know right now, a lot of you listening who are my age have a similar number of stories just like mine. Probably just one, not all the 50,000 that I have. (laughs) I'm not normal that way, but I just feel that I will be much more authentic with Jack, that I'll be more honest about struggles. And then we have the whole strife with, with Kenny's children. And, you know, he's got relatives with his last name that he hardly knows. And how do we, how do we reconcile that? So I have a lot of challenges in parenting Jack that come to the future. And so I have no preconceived notions about how any of it will be. You know, I thought I'd, I'd still have Molly. Molly should be 19. There was no way, nothing in my life, even May 1st sitting in that ER, was anything preparing me for the fact that she was going to be dead in a matter of hours. So how do I set long-term goals for Jack when I'm not even sure he'll be here? This is a big, this is a big piece of it. It's difficult. It's very, very difficult and hard. And so, you know, it is what it is. So I'm wrapping up this episode now. It is May 15th. So we're going to head off and spend some time with Gracie. We get back. It's May 23rd, which is Molly B. the Musical's anniversary. We will have finished our clothing drive by then. All of these things will be wrapping up. And then I'll be getting into a new, a new sort of the next phase. 
I'll have one more episode in this episode around Jack and Gracie and parenting. And I think I'll involve Gracie in it a little more. And that will wrap up season four. And then I'll move into, I don't know what. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas on what I'd like to talk about next. I do think I want to delve into what my preconceived notions were, what my goals were, what my life was like before I lost my job, before I got into that really toxic friendship. I had some really, really good years and, you know, and then I didn't. So as I wrap this one up, I actually want to do a quick little thing. So I do a lot of things for self-care. And so I have three areas now. So I've talked about how I function in anger a lot right now. Kenny and I had that nasty fight that I told you about last time. So I have this journal called In My Humble Opinion, and it's a journal to vent. When you're angry, come right. And every page is captured why people are like that today. I love humanity, but I hate people. Cynicism is an unpleasant way of speaking the truth. Everyone is as God made him and often a great deal worse. <laughs> I don't like the him in there. How about them? Anyway, I like this because I'm going to practice putting my anger in here. Now it's in writing, it's in a book, and I can do something with it later rather than take it out on someone. Goal setting. So, you know, I've been struggling with this. And, and my podcast editor a little while ago suggested I get this book, and it's called The Desire Map, and it's by Danielle Laporte. I know nothing about her, but I will say it's a guide to creating goals with soul. So this shows me two things. One, a different way to look at goal setting rather than I look at goal setting athletically. But when I think of what running did for me and, and how that taught me to set my goals, I get it. Oh yeah, okay. Goal setting with soul. So I can't wait to read this. It also shows me that I have a really intuitive and incredible podcast editor who really, really does a good job at intuiting, figuring things out in his clients, or at least me as a client. And then finally, my entrepreneurial group, this book is called How Successful People Think, and it's John Maxwell. So John Maxwell offers these like speaking courses and all this kind of stuff. So this is a little easy book to read in the plane. And now that I finished The Body Keeps the Score, I feel like I can, I can continue. I actually have another book I should finish, <laughs> that marketing book that I found in December. Anyway, these are three books that come to mind. So take a look at those if you're so inclined and be good to yourselves and get outside and get some sun. If you live in New England, vitamin D time, soak it all in with a little sunscreen for safety. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.